church. I've just been reflecting uh, the last couple of days. It has nothing to do with my message, but I've just been reflecting the last couple of days and then in worship and then just us being here together in the room and on the patio and the fellowship hall and um, just, I just love our church. Uh, I'm so thankful for the Lord bringing me here um, and having the opportunity to get to know all of you uh, to know that um, that this is a safe place, that we can come with uh, the dirt that we have, and it's just a safe place that we can just commune with one another, and that we recognize we all have got some dirt, but we continue to love on each other in just sweet ways. And so I just, I just want to say thank you, church, for who you are and for your continued passion for Jesus, and uh, allowing him to be the focal point of your life. And that is so evident when we gather together. Uh, it's so evident that uh, we can, we've been able to navigate the chaos of the last seven months and find that we are continuing to be one as a church, uh, to find that unity to know that we have different opinions on masks or no masks or uh, even, you know, political uh, climate and, and where we stand on different political issues. But when we show up on Sunday mornings, it's just uh, we're coming here to love each other, allow each other to have different opinions and, and to, to just embrace one another in Christ. So thank you, church. Uh, I love you guys, and I'm glad to be a part of this amazing community. I guess it does have to do a little bit with the message because the message today is really about relationships. I, I'm, I'm struck again, I, I read a little excerpt, I think it was about a year ago, out of a book, a book written by C.S. Lewis, uh, and the, it's entitled The Great Divorce. And it's an allegory, if you've never read it, I would suggest and encourage you to do so. But it's uh, any of C.S. Lewis, by the way, all of it I just love. But uh, C.S. Lewis writes this book, The Great Divorce, and it's an allegory about basically heaven and hell. And uh, at the beginning of the book, you kind of, the, the, the main character gets off the bus, if you will, in this city that we learn is really kind of an allegory again for hell. And uh, he, he notices, and he's having this conversation with someone who's been in the city for some time, and, and uh, recognizing that uh, you move into this, people move into the city, into these apartments where they're close uh, together, and, and they're trying to live and coexist in this time. And, and, and then after a little while, they get in a fight with their neighbor. And so it becomes so bad that they eventually have to move out of town. They have to move because they just can't get along with their neighbor. And so they move, if you will, into the suburbs maybe a little bit. And they think, oh, I got a little bit more space now. I can, I can get along. And, and then after a while that they're there, they, they, they get in a fight with their neighbor again. And they find, oh my gosh, they can't get past this. And so eventually they're like, ah, I got to move again. And so then they move into the rural area where there's a mile in between them and the next house. And, and everything goes well for a while. Then all of a sudden they again get in another battle with their neighbor and they 
realize that a mile is not enough space, and so they move out. And, and this is the picture that C.S. Lewis gives of hell, that it is a, it's a situation where we continue to move further and further away from people, become more and more isolated. And isn't that what we sense or feel in America today? It feels like everyone is pushing us to get further and further away, to distrust one another. That it doesn't matter what kind of relationship you have with someone else, that there's, there's something that's not safe about that relationship. Uh, the, we live in an individualistic culture where, it, where we have elevated the, uh, my needs and my wants above everything else. And so any kind of relationship that I'm going to have, it's first and foremost about me. Does this work for me? Do I get something out of it? Do I feel like, you know, I'm getting my needs met in the midst of this? As a result of this, we, we think that we have to defend ourselves, right? We ha- we're the only ones that are going to defend it, right? You, know, you stand up for your own rights because no one else will is kind of the, the mantra, right? I mean, this idea that we have to, con- you know, we got to protect ourselves. We got to be in control. We can't let anybody step on our lives in any way because, you know, no one else is going to defend us. If we don't defend ourselves, we'll just get stomped on. Relationships in this individualistic culture have become non-essential and disposable. We don't really feel like we need them, and they're not really worth fighting for. We only need to look at the percentage of divorces that are happening in this country, over 50%, and continuing to climb, it seems, year after year. That those relationships just are not worth fighting for. I'm even shocked by the fact that many divorces happen after people have been married for 20 or 30 years. And I'm like thinking, wait a second, how could you spend that many years together and then all of a sudden it's not worth fighting for anymore? Yet this is what we experience in our culture. It's because of this individualistic mindset. This relationship is no longer working for me. It's not really that important. It's not really worth fighting for. I can do this on my own. I don't need you. And so we separate and we move on. We so often in this culture see relationships as something that's for our benefit. Or at least has to have some kind of reciprocating you know, kind of relationship. Where I give something but they also give me something back. But if it gets hard, if it becomes too difficult, we just end it. Think about the younger generation today who has decided that marriage is actually the problem. And so they're not even entering into marriage. Because entering into marriage, I mean, there's just too much pressure that's put on the relationship by actually having committed to someone that you would have to actually live with them for the rest of your life. Oh my gosh, we can't do that. And so we've just thrown out marriage as if it is the problem. And so they just cohabitate and they get along recognizing that even if they have kids and cohabitation and they eventually end up leaving each other, it's still going to have tremendous damage on them and the relationship with their kids. But the problem, and God has designed it this way, the problem with individualism, the the problem with lessening the, the essentialness of relationship is that eventually, we all will be confronted by loneliness. 
Many a person, many a divorcee, after the divorce is finalized and the initial perhaps joy and freedom that comes for the first couple of years afterwards ends up regretting the divorce, recognizing the loneliness that comes when they no longer have someone to share life with. When they no longer have anyone who knows them. See, the reality is, is we have been created to be known. We want someone to know us. We want someone to not just know us, but accept us as we are. But we're never in relationship long enough for that to happen. Some of us just fear being vulnerable with someone. Fear of being rejected. And so we don't want to really let anybody in and let anybody really know who we are. Many of us find ourselves trapped behind masks. (laughs) Masks that we're wearing to hide who we really are. But the unfortunate thing about these masks is that uh, people get to know who we are on the outside, who we're projecting. And they like that person, but it's not really who we are. And so we're afraid if they really knew who we really were, would they still be our friend? Would they still be in relationship with us? Would they still like us? Would they still love us? So we feel the pressure to keep up this facade, all the while longing, wishing that someone would know me, to know who I truly am, to know my heart, to know my passions, to know my strengths, but also to know my weaknesses, and still choose to be in relationship with me. As a result of this loneliness, we tend to respond in several different ways. Just a few that I feel like kind of, or I, I highlight, the Lord highlighted in my mind, was first of all, a codependency. We settle for these fake, intimate relationships where we look for people that we can be codependent on, like they're going to give us something, but we can also give them something, and it's usually not healthy. It's usually not really knowledge about who we really are. There's this facade that continues to happen, but we just settle into that, and that becomes our whole world. That becomes our whole life is this codependent relationship. Others of us maybe fall into seeking to just numb our senses this longing to be known, the loneliness that we feel, we seek to numb that feeling through uh, falling into addictions of all kinds. Sexual addictions, alcoholic addictions, drug addictions, addictions to jobs, addictions to all kinds of other things to numb us, to keep us not thinking about the fact that we are lonely, that no one knows us. Or finally, we just fall into despair. We give up hope, and we further isolate ourselves. Don't even try to have relationships anymore. Maybe we have a job, we go to the job, we don't really talk to anybody at the job, we come home, turn on the TV, and we just sit in loneliness. It's kind of amazing in some sense because 
this perspective, this individualistic mindset in our culture. Uh, over the pandemic, over the last seven months, we've seen this loneliness, I think, just build to beyond measure. As people who didn't have real relationships before just had fake relationships, even those fake relationships have now dissipated as they got sheltered in place for a couple of months. And even now, it's just awkward to even have those superficial fake relationships. And so now the loneliness is building in the hearts of so many people today. Our world is filled with loneliness And then our news agencies and our politicians continue to promote distrust in one another, wanting us to not trust the person on the other side of the political aisle, not wanting someone to trust who's not wearing a mask or who is wearing a mask, to to give bad motives to people on both sides and to be thinking, there's no one in this world, I have to just take care of my family. How many of us have just been concerned in this time? We just shelter in place Even though things have started to open up, we're still sheltering in place, making sure our family is taken care of, but not thinking about others, not concerned about others, where they're at, the ones who maybe truly are lonely, that we have just totally isolated ourselves, and the loneliness in our world is going through the roof. We long to be known Long to be accepted and loved. Again, this confrontation with loneliness, just like all the other Beatitudes, these confrontations that come within the confrontation, in the midst of the loneliness, in the moment of despair, in the time when we're trying to numb our senses or trying to have these fake relationships with others, in that moment, that conflict, that recognition that I am still lonely, I don't, I'm not known, there is an opportunity for blessing. God has set it up this way. It's in that moment we recognize, wait a second, this world is not right. There is something wrong here. This is not making sense. It doesn't add up. Why do I have this longing to be known if I can't really be known? So we begin to look for opportunities to satisfy this longing. And if someone happens to be there who knows Jesus... Perhaps they'll share because God knows. Amen? God knows us. One of the amazing truths and realities of this God who we worship is that he knows us. He wants and is in relationship with us, whether we recognize it or not. He is engaged with us. He knows what we're doing. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're going to say before it's said. Psalm 139, one of the most beautiful psalm in the Bible. Read it over and over again whenever you're lonely, whenever you feel like nobody knows you. Grab this psalm and open it up and begin to read because it tells all about how God knit us together in our mother's womb. How God knew us before there was a day. Before we were born, he knew us. He knew all the days that we were going to have. He knew who we were. He knew exactly who he created us to be. 
He knew exactly the life that we were going to live. He knew exactly the parents we were going to have, the the person that we may marry, the friends that we were going to have, the kids that we were going to maybe have someday. He knew it all. And he continues to know it all. He knows our strengths, the gifts that he's given us. He also knows our weaknesses, how we've twisted those strengths into sinful things and and done things to uh, corrupted those things. But he knows it all, and he still loves us. John 10, 14 is Jesus speaking, and he says, I, the good shepherd, know my sheep, and they know me. The great news of the gospel for those that are lonely is that God knows them. Matthew chapter 5, we've been in this for quite some time now, but a couple more messages, this one and the next. 5 verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The definition of peacemaker in this passage, just to be clear, is not someone who just kind of sees war and tries to bring war to an end. The focus of peacemaker in this passage is on cultivating right relationships. That's what it's talking about here. To be a peacemaker, peacemaker, that's a little different. But to be a peacemaker is someone who is seeking to cultivate right relationships. First of all, of course, with God, but second of all, with those around them. You see, it is only when we come into conflict, in this confrontation with loneliness, and only when we recognize that we are fully known by God that we can then step into this role of being a peacemaker, of seeking right relationships with our, with our God, but also with others. It is when we are known and when we know that we are loved that we are free to know others and to be known by others. You see, this is the great news of Jesus, is the fact that he knows us perfectly. He knows our sin, right? Uh, Romans 5, 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? Even though we were wicked, even though we were rebellious, even though we were evil, he still loved us enough to die for us. He knows our junk. He knows all the, the bad stuff that's in our life, and he still accepts us, and he still loves us. Because of that reality, we are now free to be vulnerable with others, to be able to say, you know what, hey, I got baggage, to say, hey, you know, I'm not perfect, but it's okay. I still love you. Will you love me? We can be vulnerable because we know ultimately the one that does matter has already loved us and accepted us just as we are. And so it is out of that relationship and that understanding of God and his knowledge and love for us that we are able to dive into other relationships with other people. It's what motivates us to be in relationship with others. It's what motivates us to long for relationships with the others. Relationships we recognize are essential. There's something that we have to have. It's not just this relationship we need to have. We also need to have this relationship. We need other people. God has given us the church 
When we step through the gates of heaven, right, we step into the kingdom of God, into the family of God. We are meant to have the church. We're meant to have the family. We're meant to be in relationships. They're essential to our survival as human beings, to be truly known and to truly know others. This is what our life is about. This is the goal of all that we do. And the reality is too many of us spend too many years of our life thinking that relationships are secondary to career, to making money, to having security, to doing all kinds of other things. And then at some point in our life, we recognize, oh my gosh, what have I done? I've isolated myself from my kids. I've isolated myself from my spouse. I've isolated myself from other family members or other friends or job uh, co-workers at my job. And all because I'm trying to get something else that's not that essential that I can't take with me. It's the relationships that we can take with us. Those are the ones that last for all eternity. Those are the things that are essential and important. Those are the things that are worth fighting for. We need to seek reconciliation and restoration when there's conflict. We can't just let it go. We can't just say it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. And because of Jesus, we have this motivation Knowing that we're already known and that we're already loved, that we're already accepted, we can risk the relationships here. Certainly we see this call to be reconcilers in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20, which was our reading at the beginning of the service. That Jesus has given us the ministry of reconciliation to others, to God, but also to each other. The church should be the place where reconciliation happens the most. Of course, we know there's too many churches in this world where that's not been the case. Where relationships aren't essential, they're not worth fighting for. Or a church that's filled with people wearing masks. Come on, guys, get those masks off. Just joking, just joking. Anyway, but take off, you know, that we're fake relationships with one another. Where we're not really being open and vulnerable and true. So how do we do that? I just want to highlight a couple of things kind of at the end of this message, just talking about what this looks like. How do we maintain these relationships? How do we develop these relationships? How do we have true relationship with one another? In our vision statement, uh, one of the, there's three statements under the main vision statement to fully enjoy our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the second of those statements under that is that we would journey with God's family, in honesty and humility. And the reason honesty and humility are there is because I think those are the keys to this relationship. That we would first of all recognize that we need to be honest with one another. That when we walk through the doors of this church, when we're calling somebody up in this church and we're having a conversation with our brother and sister in Christ, that we don't have to pretend we don't have to act like everything's okay when it's not. That we can be honest with one another when we're struggling. We need to be honest. The reality is the moment we are honest about our own struggles, it so often leads to the other person who's listening to be honest back. See, honesty is vulnerability. 
right? It's being willing to say, you know, hey, I'm not doing good today. It's willing to be willing to say that. You know, today I'm really struggling. Honesty is also about not hiding our sin. So often we want to hang on to our sin and hold it in and not say, let it, let it see the light of day. But the reality is that the light of day is the only thing that's going to destroy that sin. It's not that we share our sin with every single person in the church. I'm not saying we should have a confession where everybody comes up and talks about their sin. What I am saying is that you need to have brothers and sisters in Christ that you're willing to be honest with about your own struggles with sin. We need to speak it to the light. We need to have someone else that we trust that we're going to be vulnerable with that will allow them to walk with us in that. And that leads to the second piece, the humble piece. It's being humble enough to say, you know what, I need help. Again, our individualistic culture says, I can do this alone. It's just Jesus and me. I don't need you. I don't need anybody else. I've got this. And so we continue to hide our sin or the things that we're struggling with, our weaknesses, and we never get any help or assistance. And it continues to defeat us time after time after time. Whereas if we would just humble ourselves a bit and open up somebody in the body of Christ who can journey with us, can help us, can support us, can be praying for us, I think so many of us would just be shocked by the amount of power that is removed from sin just by us saying it out loud. We also need to be honest when we're offended in relationship. You know, it's kind of like the, the, the Christian thing, you know, I mean, somebody says something and, and they offend us in some way. It's kind of the Christian thing, just kind of, oh, okay, I'm really ticked off, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to go stew in my corner, right? It's like, oh, we can't say that we're offended, right? And, and, and so we have so many relationships in the church and outside of the church that are destroyed simply because we won't be honest about the fact that we were offended by what somebody did or said to us. Now, this doesn't mean that we need to evaluate our own sensitivities because sometimes we're sensitive to things we shouldn't be sensitive to, and we need to work on that. Sometimes there's misunderstandings that we just are assuming, are, you know, we assume into or place into the conversation that aren't actually there. But the reality is if we never vocalize our offenses, if we're never honest with somebody, then we're going to continue to hold that truth or not, whether it's a truth or a lie that we're believing, we're going to hold that. And it's going to turn into bitterness in our hearts. And it's going to destroy that relationship with the other one. We need to be honest with one another when it comes to when being offended. If someone says something, does something, we, if we care about that person, if we love that person, if we want to continue, if we think relationship is important and want to continue to fight for it, then we need to be honest when we're offended. Don't just pretend that it's okay. We are so afraid of the confrontation, thinking that that confrontation is going to destroy the relationship further, but it's the exact opposite. If we have the courage, if we have the honesty, if we're willing to fight for that relationship, by being honest, we get to know each other better, and we can love each other better. And in that, we also need to be humble enough to accept other people's sinfulness because at the same time even though people may offend us we can never demand that they be perfect 
humble enough to recognize that I'm sinful too. Humble enough to accept their sinfulness as well. To love them in the midst of it. To love love them despite it and maybe even because of it. And this is the amazing thing about love, right? I've experienced this in a few relationships, but the longer you know somebody, the more you begin to develop that love and the more you get to know them and you even get to know their idiosyncrasies or the things that you kind of drive you crazy about them, after a while it moves past crazy to like, oh my gosh, I really kind of like that about them. Like it's, that's just who they are, right? I mean, and it's cool, right? I mean, it still drives you crazy, but you can love them for it because of it. It's amazing how that works. Truth is, relationships are essential. And because we have this ability to be known by our creator, to be accepted just as we are, sin and all, to be loved in the midst of that, that gives us the ability to risk in relationships with one another. And it's that very risk of relationship with one another that will bring new, intimate, loving relationships that will continue to solidify the fact that we are accepted not just by God, but by God's family. It's amazing the power that that brings, the freedom that it brings. You know know how free you can live when you know that you're fully accepted and loved just as you are, no matter what you do. You know how free that is for you? How freeing that is? I mean, you can really live your life. You can just kind of boldly go through life. They talk about every uh, great, you know, pastor has a great woman behind them, right? You know, that they are loving them just as they are. Even when they do stupid things and they say stuff up front, even when they embarrass them, they still love them. It's amazing, right? But the boldness that comes into my heart knowing that not only does my creator love me no matter what I do, but that my wife loves me no matter what I do, oh my gosh, the freedom that brings. That even if you all turned your back on me, I'd be okay. I got my wife and I got my God. All right, worship team, why don't you come back up? Just close a couple of closing thoughts. Have you been drawn into the individualistic life that this culture is demanding you draw into? What areas of your life are you feeling like God, where you're feeling like you are living more and more individualistically? Are relationships important to you? What's the evidence if you say yes? Also, have you, been, have you been confronted with loneliness? You know, I think there's so many in this world that are confronted with loneliness right now, and, and are you one of them? It's okay if you are. If you're wrestling with this reality that you just feel lonely and you just recognize that the relationships that you used to have seven months ago, they're just not the same. Are you wrestling with loneliness? If you are, then again, Psalm 139 encourage you to spend some time there just reflecting on God's love for you and his knowledge of you. 
hang on to that reality and that truth. But also, if you're isolating, trying to just protect your family in this time where everyone else seems to be doing that same thing, let me encourage you to lift up your chin and look to your neighbor, look to your coworker. Are they lonely? Maybe they're being confronted with loneliness, probably. Who do they have? Do they know Jesus? Can they read Psalm 139 and recognize that that's about them? You see, we've been given this commission by Jesus to not only reconcile ourselves to God, but also to reconcile others. That we have this amazing hope this amazing reality that we are known and loved just as we are and the rest of the world needs to know that too. So may we reflect on 139, Psalm 139, but then may we take the realities and the truths of that psalm to the streets, to our neighbor who hasn't come out of their house maybe for seven months, to our coworker who is just struggling and comes to work but at home is lonely to our friend, to our family members, whoever it may be. Let's reconcile people to Jesus so that they can feel accepted and loved and known. Amen. Coming, Father, thank you so much that uh, you are heaven and earth, Lord, that we could shout your praises to all the earth, Lord, not just in this building, but as we leave this building as well. Lord, we desire to follow you into the world, that we would take this message of hope, take this message of being known with us. Lord, you never give us something just for ourselves. It's always meant to be passed on. Matter of fact, we can only fully enjoy what you have given us when we do pass it on. So Lord, help us to do that with this message today. First, drive home this truth into our own hearts that we would recognize that we are fully known, that you know our dirt, you know the sin, you know the rebellion, you know all of that stuff in our hearts. And yet you still love us and accept us just as we are. And Lord, give us the courage to be honest with one another, that we would dive into real, genuine, honest relationship with one another. Give us the ability to be humble as well with one another allowing others to know our, our wickedness and to support us and journey with us trying to defeat that wickedness. But also, Lord, give us the humility to accept, accept other people's weaknesses and sinfulness. Lord, bind us together as a community as we dive into relationship with you and with each other. And Lord, Ignite our hearts to spread this to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family and friends, to the world, to the people we don't know, the people that we do know, that your love and acceptance and knowledge of everyone would become known and that they would bow their knee to Jesus as Lord. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and following. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. 
Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thank you, church. Have a great day.